Hello, this is John Smallwood and Edward Bao. Welcome to today's weekly update. Hope everybody is doing well and had a great uh, weekend with their families. I know we did a lot of uh, FaceTiming and go to meetings and Zoom meetings and a whole bunch of fun stuff over the weekend that makes the holiday completely different um, than it has been in the past. <laughs> yeah, so, a couple of, couple of ha virtual happy hours and get the family together on Easter and stuff. So uh, through through Zoom, you know, and all that. So interesting times, interesting times. But we, we, you know, you figure it out, move forward. And some might actually say that the 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 quickness of the Zoom meeting or the FaceTime that it's only a half hour and then you move on to the rest of the family <laughs> creates less. Dynamics in the family household, potentially. Less people fun. getting irritated, huh? <laughs> so, a couple things that we're going to go through today. Um, we're going to go through updates on the stimulus. There's a lot of changes from last week. Uh, I want to refine what's really happening with 1099 workers because so many people are um, that makeup and there's a lot of questions on that we want to go through some of the market updates and see what's happening um in the times that we're in in being home and being restricted in where you can and cannot go middle of the day on saturday sharon and i decided to um, walk to asbury park from the house so 13.32 miles later we made it to Asbury about three and a half hours, almost four hours. And then we called the youngest kid and said, Chris, come get us. Our feet were killing us. We didn't have enough water. Uh, you really take for granted not having like stores open and you didn't have the right material to go into 7-Eleven to pick up the stuff. So you just kept going. Um, it really, the environment that we're in, it really makes you aware of the things that were that you took for granted that so many things are so important so many small little things that we take for granted that you now don't have that it really it, it makes you really appreciative of the things that you do have um as we go forward here the fed announcing the 2.3 trillion of additional stimulus i think this is a really really great big uh opportunity for the states and the municipalities and there's a lot of you know when you look back at previous stimulus packages when the fed is doing something like that they typically don't buy lower quality assets and what they're saying is they're going to do that in this environment which is a great um, benefit to municipalities and other areas where there might be not as um, high of rating so everybody's going to share in this there's a program that they announced called Main Street Lending Program, which is in addition to the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is about $600 billion in loans that is really geared towards, um, really geared towards companies that are not going to benefit from the PPP that are up to 10,000 employees. So how that unwinds over the next week and we learn more about that, I think is really important. Um, my understanding is that the stimulus checks, the 1200 per person started going out this weekend. Um, people should start getting those. I believe you'll see them over the weekend into Wednesday. Um, that'll be great for so many people. Um, in addition, OPEC announced this morning or over the weekend that they reached almost an agreement, uh, not quite there, to curtail production by about 9 billion barrels a day, which should uh, bring the price of oil back up, which should get rid of the oversupply issues that are out there. Um, so that should be an attractive thing to markets as, as we move forward. Um, that's, a, that's about 10% of their production right now that they're, they're you know, gonna cut, so worldwide which is fantastic. So again, we continue to see worldwide coordination uh, with stimulus packages, with monetary policy, um, you know, countries coming together to make good decisions to protect 
you know, natural resources in the industries that are so important to us. So we're quite excited about that. Um, and it all has a potentially a very positive impact on what's coming. Um, this is an update on that chart through April, where we're seeing that worldwide coordination of stimulus. We're seeing it in countries going over 20% in a lot of cases of GDP. We already know that this is, that the United States is well over 20, pushing 25% of GDP when this chart gets updated, when you factor in all of the stimulus packages. So um, this is unprecedented. Um, as we sat back and we wanted to take a look at what's happening, the, the stimulus doesn't work unless it gets into the hands of people. And I think that's really what's important. And, and so many of our client base, so many people that are on this call are self-employed today. And there's really a lot of questions around, and I have some typos on here, as I see. Um, there's, can a self-employed person get the PPP loan? How will that be forgiven? And how do I get it? Okay. And basically what I read over the weekend, and there were some additional um, items that, that came out, is if I'm a self-employed person and I, let's say that I'm a consultant and I gross $200,000 a year in consulting fees, but I have $50,000 worth of expenses, my net income is $150,000, okay? That's in essence a Schedule C employee. And what we're seeing is that $100,000 worth of earnings, Schedule C is what is covered under the PPP program. So a self-employed person can go to their bank and apply for the PPP loan. So when I, I did it last week with my bank and Technically, even though I'm self-employed, I don't file Schedule C because I have an S corporation, I have an LLC, I have a couple, few entities. But under a Schedule C, in the form, you check the box, I'm Schedule C, you provide a, since you don't have payroll, what you need to be able to do is demonstrate a tax return showing that this is what your income was, and if it's $100,000 of income, you're basically gonna qualify for a loan that is somewhere between 15 and $20,000, depending upon how the math is. And I'm not, that's where I'm not, I saw 15, I saw 20, I saw different things, but it's in essence, if you took $100,000 divided by 12, multiplied it by 2.5, it's about $20,000. Um, that, that loan, assuming that you stay self-employed and you maintain your job and your goal to get there, that loan will be forgiven for you and therefore not something you have to pay back, um, which I think is a tremendous stimulus package. We've never seen a coordinated stimulus package like this. Um, this really keeps people cash flowing assuming we can get it. And the key is, I'm seeing a lot of the banks come back online. If you submit your request online, they're quick to call you. They're quick to get in touch with you. Um, they are setting up special hotlines to call. Some of the bigger banks are setting up special hotlines that you can call in. So they have dedicated teams to actually do that. Um, I know a couple of the local banks that I spoke to last week, they spent a lot of time in advance getting online uh, DocuSign type things set up and it was a very, very easy process. Uh, but the key is you've got to go through the bank that you're at. And if your bank is not doing it or they're giving you a hassle, you need to, you need to really step up and complain um, because the money's here, they want to get it into our hands. Um, the, the stimulus package, when we start looking at keeping you know for the ppp people with employees the key is keeping people on the payroll 
through June 30th or getting them back on by June 30th. Um, that's really the fundamental underlying proponent to having the loan forgiven. So having that, that, that payroll going, having this money flowing should sustain the business in order to keep it going. What we're seeing from a lot of different people and depending upon what they're doing, depending on what kind of consulting that they're doing, we're seeing that continue. We're seeing, I'm having a lot of calls with clients who are working from home. They're, they're continuing to sell, they're continuing to make deals in technology and software and you know things continue to happen. So that's good news. Um, if you have specific questions on this, you can put them into the into the chat log here, or you can drop us a note afterwards. We will help you through this and work with you, even though we don't have any direct effect over. It's not something that we can take the reins and go with, um, which is frustrating, um, but that's the way this is gonna work. What we saw and what we're all seeing is that the rate of increase in, um, the amount of new cases, the growth is actually starting to somewhat flatline, not completely flatline, but it's continuing to peak and kind of roll over and kind of starting to, to come down. We're seeing the mortality this past week seems to have hit the numbers. It doesn't seem to be as high as we thought it was going to be, but it's still very, very high. Um, so anybody that's experiencing that, our heart goes out to you. Um, but it seems like all of the containment that we've been doing, despite not being as soon as it possibly could have been or et cetera, it seems to be doing the job. Um, and that we're not pushing through and adding more cases. The big question really here really comes down to is, is the road out? Ed and I were talking about this earlier, is that how do we get back out? How do we go back to everyday life? How do we go back out to the restaurants and the grocery stores the way we want to and the, you know, the, the parks, um, uh, et cetera? That's going to be the, the question. And nobody really has given us a clear answer that I, can, that I can see that says, when this thing happens, how do we not get this reinfection? I think that's the thing that keeps people frightened. Um, going forward. Oops. So what we started to look through, and I wanted to, when I started to go through this, I wanted to bring a little bit of fun to this, but I also wanted to really, the news, the constant news and the constant media headlines are very difficult and very troubling. So I I was trying to find a website that might have captured all the records that we've had for the calendar year. Um, and there's so many records. There's good records and there's bad records. So I didn't find a website that kind of compiled everything. So I started just going through and doing searches of different thinking. And what I found was a couple of articles that I thought would be interesting just to kind of say um, January 2nd, the first five days. If the, if the market is good during the first five days of the year, 80% of the time, there's an average gain of about 13%. We had the first five days were pretty good in the market. January 6th, there was an article that said 10 ways the past 10 years were remarkable for the stock market. And I just pulled out three that I thought were interesting to me. The longest bull market ever in September of 18, the market went down 19% and hit a, a record high in seven months after that. So that was amazing resilience. And then if we all remember this, in 2017, there was only eight moves of 1% or more during the trading year, which is, we've had 37 probably in the last 37 trading days of 1% or more moves, right? So this was a really interesting thing. March 9th, Dow loses 2,000 points, worst single day drop ever. March 16th, Dow falls 3,000 points on worst track for the worst month since 1987. 
which is a much bigger point drop day. And when you take it as a percentage, it's also a, mid, a much bigger point drop day on that day also because the market was down. Then on March 12th, there was a Forbes article, the bear market is here, it's the fastest plunge of 20% on record. Um, we had March 16th, there was an unprecedented, the stock market was halted for a third time, which you know prior to this was a long time that it had happened. Um, February 29th, the S&P suffered its fastest decline of 10% from an all-time high. So, and then Wall Street Journal here, March 26th, Dow rally 6.4 after the stimulus vote, finally, right? Now the market's up 20%, which now qualifies as a new bull market. One of the fastest bull markets to come back, okay? And then the Dow Jones set a record for their worst quarter in three decades. So the news is like, your emotions are up, your emotions are down. Like it is, it is a very difficult thing to sit and listen to all the headlines. And the headlines are designed to grab us, to bring us in, okay? To, as they say, clickbait, right? Um, to bring us in and, and it's an emotional roller coaster. And th this is what we're trying to do on this is to point this out Stay away from it, find a source, look at things in a very objective way, but don't get stuck in the headlines. Ed, I'm sure you saw a few headlines that I missed on here, right? There's probably about 70 of them. <laughs> um, no, it's just, you know, when you're when you're going through and, and you're you're hearing these headlines, like John said, is you know, we're you're managing you're managing emotions um as much as we're, you know, we're you're, we're trying to manage portfolios. It's um, it's a hard thing. It's not easy, to, you know. And especially these are these are some of the some very big headlines. This is you know not to be discounted. Um, and and to see this stuff, you know, um, it's it's just, it's unprecedented, you know, in some respects. And but you know, there's we always hear there's different reasons. This time's different. There's different reasons why this is happening. We got some more visuals on that. Um, so no, it's it's just the, the news that you know, like you said, I, I've probably heard some stuff. I, I, you know, it just it go comes and goes, and that's the you know, that's what the news is built for, right? Like John said, it's like they're gonna throw this stuff out at you, and it's meant to to attract us and keep our attention for that minute, and then you'll hear it. It'll, they'll keep repeating it day after. And day after and you know it, it wears on you uh from an emotional perspective so you gotta be careful with that that's all so this was a great piece that we found last week about every generation faces its own challenges and this goes back and it pulls some of the time magazine covers and i think i was i was thinking about this when you look at 1941 the pearl harbor um invasion and you think about the emotions that must have been going on in the world in the country um you know it's a war at that moment that we're getting into where it's unlike anything that we've ever experienced you, you had a kamikaze pilots that you've never experienced things you know ramping up to a level of war that we've never seen um the fear of losing that war in that moment would have changed everything going forward and and, and i have to think that that fear is unlike anything that we've ever that i've ever experienced being born in 1968 um you know looking at the the at the future, Black Tuesday, um, the Vietnam War, Nixon impeaching, the stock market crash of 87, uh, the dot-com bubble burst. You know, here we're seeing uh, the 2008 crisis. And Ed and I were talking about it earlier also. There's this, and there's a couple of people that we've read and, you know, reading through March 9th, 2011, 2009, excuse me, March 11th, 2009, at the bottom of the market, when 
we, we didn't know we were coming out of this. We didn't know we weren't going to go bankrupt and the financial systems weren't going to implode. We didn't know that the government debt, you know, spir you know spir spiraling out of control. Nobody knew the outcome at that moment. The fear was extremely high. Um, what this chart's really showing also is the VIX index, which we had put out in a previous week, right? So when fear is high, right, the markets are at the point. This is only going through 2018. And what we started to look at, is, and you're starting to see it now in the, in the marketplace, is that fear of recovery, fear of the future, fear of the unknown is ramping up. And you're starting to see, in essence, the cracking of that. You're starting to see fund flows. And this is something that I'm starting to see fund flows flowing out. You're starting to see fear in a lot of cases, okay? So what we went through here, this is a great piece that was provided to us last week, global equity mutual funds and ETF flows. This goes back to 1995. The chart goes out here into 2018-19. And this is the dot-com bubble. All the money's flowing in at the peak, and then the market just erupts, right? Here in the 2008-2009 crisis, when equity markets got destroyed, the, the increase into fixed income was off the charts, right? And what everybody was running from was the 50%, the 57% sale, and buying something that was up high in value because of the fear trade. You know, there was interest rates were declining. People were afraid there was a flight to fixed income, and this was up. This felt good. Buy what's sell what's low and buy what's high, which is the exact opposite. And you're starting to see. We put together a a piece here. I'm going to go one chart forward and then come back to that chart. Is in 2019, right off the 18 thing, U.S. equity fund flows were out. People weren't buying stocks. Market went up, what, 20-something, 27%. But what people were buying were bonds. And bonds happened to have a really good year last year. But now what you're seeing is people are fleeing from bonds because bonds have had some, some pressure. So there's that chasing of that yield, chasing of that return, People are, you know, going in different directions back and forth, and we'll come back to this, but it's what we're seeing is that in the plan, when you build your long-term wealth plan, you need to have the core assets in place, a certain amount of cash, a certain amount of guaranteed assets, a certain amount of income guarantees, pensions, backups, um, and your portfolio needs to be in a place where when it suffers one of these problems, you have backups, okay, which we'll talk more about as we go forward on today's um, notes here. But what, what, what I wanted to talk about is that missing, nobody has a crystal ball. We don't have a crystal ball. I joke that my grandmother, Dora, rest in peace, she gave me one uh, when I started in the industry over 30 years ago. It was May 1990 when I came in full time. It's going to be 30 years coming up this week or next month. Um, I had a crystal ball for an afternoon. I knocked it off my desk and it crashed and I don't have it. Okay. But what we know is that if I miss the best days of the market, I miss most of the returns that are going to be given to me and, and, and provided during that that time frame i mean getting at and we'll show this in a few different ways but missing even the 10 best days in the market reduced the terms by almost 50 percent in the last 20 years so 10 days 20 years of returns 50 percent reduction s p index annualized returns on the growth of 100 grand or 100,000 from 1998 to 2018 fully invested person would have made 7.2 with volatility. If you missed the 10 best days, you're down to 3.78, $209,000, almost 50% reduction. 
the annualized return is reduced to 1.49. If I miss the best 30 days, which is like, let's get out of the way, let's just pull over to the side and let it pass, you miss 30 days of the best days, your return is negative. If you miss 40 days, it's negative two. If you miss 50 days, it's minus 3.58. If you miss the 60 best days, you're down to a 4.98% return from that time frame. This is great. Best days come near the worst. Despite 2008 being in the center of the Great Recession, it had seven of the 20 best price return days for the Dow Jones Industrial Average since 1945. We already know from this workshop that we've already set a bunch of records, good and bad, right? We've had big point days, et cetera. Um, um, everything. So here, what I saw was an 11% day and a minus 8% day. So on September 29, 2008, you had a 8%, greater than 8% down day. The next day, you had an 11% day. When you look back, if you came in on October 1st, it didn't really matter what happened in these two days. Here, you had a down day, a down day, and then you had a big up day. You had a down day, you had an up day. And that's kind of is we don't know where it's going. So the strategy that you're, that you're implementing becomes super important and the strategy that you're sticking to becomes super important. The fund flows, when we look at this, and the chart that we were trying to get to is the money chases the return. That's that Dalbar study that I have in the five ways your wealth under attack book that I wrote, which is clickbait, right? Um, five ways your wealth is under attack. The idea is that when money, when the market goes down, most people want to get out of the way and they miss the returns, right? So that it's their strategy not having enough defense in place that not allowing us to continue and the fear that we're going to run out of money or lose all of our money becomes extremely high. But when you look at the flows into the US equities and the performance, while the performance is declining, people are leaving. While the performance is increasing, money is flowing in, and it's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. The, one of the great economists back in the day you know, the secret to financial success is to buy low and sell high, right? Um, the analogy is when Macy's is having a sale, we're not buying, right? So these are things, the fund flows really predict what's happening. And what, what we're seeing is, you know, this is the chart that we've been updating every week for those that are not, have not been on before, because we have a lot more people on, which is great. And I'm get, we're getting tremendous feedback from everybody who is on. And I want to thank you for that. Is when you look back in 1986, this is the S&P 500. It ran up about 106% into March of 2000, where the PEs were up at 27%. That bubble burst, it fell about 49% into October or so of 02, October 9th of 02, where PEs were now down at 14. Market then ran up another 101, but it wasn't a straight run, right? It ran up again where PEs were now reduced and we're down to a 20, you know, October of 2007. And then we had these declines with a bump up, bump up, a decline. And then down here, we were down March 9th, we were down about 57% from peak to trough and PEs were reduced down to 10.3. Then we had this quantitative easing where the government said, we're gonna buy back, we're gonna buy bonds, we're gonna do all those things, we're gonna put it in. That lasted all the way to November of 2014. Somewhere in 12 or 13, you had worldwide banks coming in and also doing the same thing, buying assets, doing things. That all ended in November of 14. Market went sideways when they, when the infusion slowed, right? The market went sideways. And then we had what's called the Trump bump where the market then went up and we went up almost 400, you know, 400% from peak to trough. 
We went down about 25, 27, almost 30% when we look back at this bottom day, and we're now bouncing back up to 19%. It is amazingly fast how quick this is, because even these weren't straight down. Like this is a straight trajectory, right? So we're sitting here now saying, what are the PEs? We have earnings season that's coming out now. We know earnings are going to be reduced. We know that expectations are going to be reduced. We know that it's gonna take time for people to get back to work. We know it's gonna take time to go through some cycles on some deals for you know, big companies and big contracts and to get the airline industry moving again and the tourism industry. I saw Disney furloughed 43,000 employees over the weekend. That is a huge impact, despite all their online businesses. Without that revenue stream from the parks, Disney is under pressure. We're all under pressure here. The key is we need to get, I wanted to have a funny joke there, but the, uh, I'm going to pass on it. The, um, this is, this is where the fear is, is are we back here? Are we going to come back down? Where are we? We don't know. Okay, so what we started to take a look at again, the volatility has peaked. This correction through April 8th is about an 18%. This is when the charts were last um, done. So this is the most recent charts that I can get my hands on. So this is talking about major pullbacks since the financial crisis. So this is going back, there was a 16, a 19, a nine, a five. Each time the volatility index got pretty high, but we haven't seen it as high as we are here. Um, and it's now coming back in dramatically. So the fear of the volatility has actually declined in the markets. Well, what, in general, what we don't see on the chart is in 2008, the peak of the, the volatility index was basically as high as we were at the peak here. It was like a, uh, like a 75 or 80 on the, on the volatility index. And, the, Actually, and they really call it a fear. And it's really the fear index. And, um, you know, one of the things that John and I have been looking at when we're analyzing data is, you know, we've been looking to get to see when that volatility comes back down, which it has, um, but we're and what one of the indicators we're looking at was we want it below 50 for the time being and sustain that for a little bit of what you know a week or two um that would and it, it actually has it's, it's i think it was down it was actually up a little bit to 43 this morning um so we did see a drop below 50 about a week ago and it's been and it's been staying below that so that's a, that's a good sign like I said, it's a fear index. So we want to get the fear back down. That way we can make some rational decisions too. So Yeah. And it, and on the chart, it has the peak of 08 is 80.9. The average is 17.3. The latest was 43. And we were, you know, on February 20th, we were up at a, almost 80 something. So we were almost back up that same peak. Um, I think what's interesting also is as we look at the 2008 crisis and we look at this crisis, this is the first time that the whole entire world is really captured in it at the same time. We're all in the same boat. Every, every country in the world is impacted the same way. Every country is putting together a coordinated effort to get through this. Uh, over the weekend, we saw that Boris Johnson was released from the hospital you know, through great medical intervention, he was, you know, so happy to be out. That's a great sign to see a world leader get it, come out, and now really understand how important it is from an economic standpoint, but how important it is from a life perspective also, that everybody is coming together. So I think there's going to be different, you know, a different approach as we come out of this from a worldwide perspective. What we started to see Again, this is the chart that is from an asset class perspective that if you first time on 2005 
purple is the top performing asset class, which happens to be emerging markets. These slides will be available for download afterwards. This is all produced by JP Morgan Guide to Markets. So in 2005, emerging markets equity was your top performing asset class. Your worst performing was fixed income, which was up about 2.4. Emerging markets were up about 34. And large cap growth, which is in essence the S&P, was up 4.9. And when you follow this, you follow the colors. If you follow the purple, you had three years here where you know, emerging markets were unstoppable coming into 2007 with a 34, a 32, and a 39. And what you saw was tremendous inflows into emerging market funds, okay? And then you saw that correct by about 55, 56% in the one year. And then outflows were huge on those funds and it went up 79%, okay? And what we're seeing is that then you had a series of years where emerging markets were no longer in vogue and there's something that i brought up one of the webinars the last few weeks which is the term called brick brazil russia india china which used to be which used to dominate all of the, the headlines and now it's been fang uh facebook apple netflix uh etc google okay and what you're seeing is that we're seeing commodities down here towards the bottom which if you went back in previous time, commodities were dominating. If we remember, you know, China was buying up every commodity known to mankind and they overbought them, right? They're stockpiled. Um, what we're seeing in 2019 is large cap was up 31%. A few weeks ago, it was down really low. It's back up to 14 here. And you're seeing the pressure on the asset classes, again, but improving in a quality way. The key to the solution, the key to the strategy is having a balance for all of these asset classes so that you end up in this white black line structure. You're not the best performing and you're not the worst performing. You're the middle of the road piece. And when you see there's some difficult times, in the difficult times, you, you're in the middle. And that's where you want to be with your long-term strategy. We took the fixed income sector because this is one of those areas that traditionally your bond market does very, very well in times of poor times. And what we've seen over the last month and a half here is that the fixed income market has had a lot of pressure. Corporate high yields under pressure, um, high yields under pressure, emerging market bonds under pressure, and Munis were under great pressure. Uh, we had Dave Dowden on a few weeks ago from Makai Shields talking about that. That happened to be right at the height of the market when the pressure was there. The stimulus package that came out last week, you know, saying we're going to buy munis, we're going to do things is great for the muni market, but you've had outflows because the muni market had more pressure uh, than it ever has. Municipal bonds are right now, 75% of the municipal bond market is owned by what is considered non-institutional investors mom and pop and they own it individually and they own it in mutual funds um they've been leaving because of the fear it didn't offer that volatility buffer that they were searching for in their plants and their income levels are now low um what we're seeing is money is now coming in and my belief is that if you look at the stock market and you look at the bond market if i'm going to buy uh, I'm not going to pick on any particular stock, but I'm just going to say if, if I buy, I have a choice. I can buy the stock of a company and I can buy the bond of a company and I can get really good yields now on those bonds because those corporate bonds are pretty low in value and so is their stock. But if you, there's a fear of bankruptcy out there, okay? So that in a corporate structure, in a chapter 11 in a bankruptcy the bondholders get paid first stockholders don't get anything okay and i think there's a fear out there that when you start to see this bond market come back and stick up high that fear of bankruptcy will be beyond us okay and there's a lot of publications out there showing that the bankruptcy is not there the stimulus packages are coming in to buoy these the government's buying these bonds which should create that 
confidence to bring this bond market up. And when you see that all this infusion start to hit, you can see the bond market come back, and then the stock market should be coming out behind that greatly also because there's that that fear that's out there. You know, what's gonna happen? How do we recover from this? And I think um it's interesting. I mean, Ed and I were talking about the fear earlier today um, that it's, it's warranted because of the unknown, but it's also like the event that has occurred. It's not Pearl Harbor. It's not the um, Great Recession. It's not the Depression. It, it's different. And the fear is a triggering event does it take us to the depression? That's the fear. Um, what I look at is we had a very healthy economy going into February 19th. We had record corporate earnings. We had companies that had more cash on their balance sheets than ever. Last week in our charts, we had uh, a chart that you know individual consumers had the lowest debt they've had in a long time. These are all really good signs that say we're going to be more resilient through this. Um, if we have more cash, we have more resilience. And you want to add something to this? No, I just, um, you know, we're all, I think, when I think back to 2008 and that fear of the financial, our financial mechanism collapsing, I, I mean, that, that was some real fear. I mean, and how, how would we ever come out of something like that? And, you know, there's, there's, there's fear here too. Everybody I talked to, we all feel like, yes, they're, they're, we're gonna come out of this in some form or fashion. There is another, another side to this. And I think we're changed, we've changed, at least short term, we're gonna be changed fundamentally. Um, there's going to be some industries that are going to be really challenged. Um, airlines, I, I really wonder how they're, how they're going to operate in the, we'll call it the new norm for the short term. Um, in, in the restaurant industry, the service industry, th there's some real challenges out there. Absolutely. Um, there's also a lot of things coming out that are good too. Um, we've, we've talked about, I think some of the advancements that we'll, we'll probably see, on the other side of this from you know medically and it, it kind of has to happen too and and i think everybody's moved forward i just heard uh this weekend that there's there's upwards of 12 vaccinations that are gonna there three are already in trial they're gonna be 12 in trial amazing just the number of, of how things get mobilized and, and we start moving forward uh is amazing uh, to our to our spirit and our resiliency so um I think there are challenges, you know, going forward. You'll, you know, we've said this in the last few webinars. You know, we're going to see probably some bad corporate earnings this month. I'm surprised to see what good earnings come out because there's going to be some companies that have actually going to be okay through this. So, you know, navigating that um, and getting everybody, you know, they're, they're, you know, the big talk now is how do we get the people back to work and and the economy going. So that. I think is the big news coming out of this in the next month or so, month or two, um, and how we, we move forward. So, you know, there's unknown and there's always unknowns. Um, but I, I got, we have that faith that we're going to be on the other side of this. So, um, and, you know, we will get better. So. And I think, I think, Ed, I think that's really important point that you touched on there because the amount of advancement that's coming out of this, there's this, when things are going great, there's this complacency and we'll do it later. And in a crisis, it's now, oh, we really need to, you know, our pandemic protocol needs to be different as a society. Our infectious disease departments need to be different. Our, you know, safety and sanitary restaurants, food distribution, all these things are going to get substantially better as a result of this. And I think that's really insightful because as we sit here, we know we're going to see amazing improvements. And the, the other thing that's, I think we talk about a lot too is, you know, you hear it in the news, you know, are, are we actually going to pull back some of this manufacturing and, you know, 
right? The big, the big question was a lot of our medical supplies and even our medications are being produced in China. You know, probably we understand now that's a red flag, right? Are we going to be pulling back some of that manufacturing? Or, so does that create more jobs here for people maybe that are, are losing jobs in the service industry? I don't know the answer to that. All I know is I think there'll be changes. And does that affect us maybe from an inflation perspective? You know, maybe it costs us more to manufacture here, but we stay in control of it. It may cost us more in the future. I, I don't know. Um, so these are things I kind of grapple with every night <laughs> and uh, try to get some sleep at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a really good point because the as we sit here, like this is something that everybody listening to this, everybody in the country, everybody in the world kind of needs to rethink their their personal world, right? Their personal economic circumstances, right? Um, you might need a job change. You might need to get more training. You might need to, you might be sitting home going, oh my God, I have the best opportunity, the best idea ever, and I need to get it out into the world. There's new business ventures that, that are gonna come out of this. I could, I could see, you know, so many different cleaning, um, germ notification, monitoring, like there's so many industries that are going to come out that don't exist today that are going to come out of this. And I, um, I'm excited by that because that means growth in the economy. That means growth of jobs. I mean, really the PPP program, and I was, the, the Paycheck Protection Program is designed to keep people off of unemployment and on the payroll of companies as much as they possibly can. So I would expect that you would see a, you know, as the PPP kicks in, you'd see a slowing of that unemployment, which would be a great sign. Um, there's, what I wanted to talk about for a second is we have a, a workshop that we did um, a few times called Retire ASAP, which is as safe as possible, as soon as possible. And in that workshop and in the new book that I have coming out in May, called It's Your Wealth, Keep It. Um, we have this structure that I wanted to discuss. And when we, when we encounter the typical person, okay, in our practice, and this is kind of conceptual, is they have a portfolio that's relatively aggressive, that might be, you know, a decent size. They have cash. They typically don't have 10% cash. Most people do not have enough cash in their plans and they have a house, okay? And their typical retirement looks like, hey, there's some social security and there's a pension that they're gonna take a 50% survivor on and the wife, the spouse may have some social security and they're taking this portfolio withdrawal. Typically, it's not three and a half percent. Typically, it's substantially higher, okay? Um, typically, I'm seeing a need for five or six percent withdrawal. And in the book that I wrote, there's a lot of things that are gonna come out. But this structure, when you look at the structure, if there's not enough defense and not enough cash, okay, when this thing comes down, which it always does, we can point back on all those time charts, the market always comes down. It always comes down at a time when we least expect it. It's always different. There's the reasons why it came down are different. It's different this time, but in the end, it's the same. It comes back things change and we go back to our own way but this structure creates a lot of what we call you're subject to the financial pressure and that financial pressure that we talk about is volatility adjusted returns you know and this is something that in the five ways book and that we talk about with every single client is if you have a a sequence of returns right that is plus 100 and minus 50, I'm writing it down so you can kind of see it, right? Plus 100 and minus 50, if I take the, the average of that, divide that by two, the average is 25. And I have a little disclaimer here in case my math isn't right, okay? But, <laughs> just kidding. But, um, so the average of that is 25. And if I'm, if I'm an investment guy and I'm marketing my returns, 
you know, rather than saying I'm up 100 and down 50, which is kind of ugly and scary, right, is I'm saying, well, my average rate of return is 25% over that time frame. And the reality is, if you put money to that, because money is a commodity subject to erosion principles, okay, is that that if I had $100,000 in that sequence, I wouldn't have the 100, like, if you think about it, average rate of return of 25% over a two-year period, 100,000 would grow to 125, 125 up by 25% is 156,600. I've done this like 3,000 times. So your expectation in your plan is I have 156,000 with the sequence. The reality is that 100 went up 100%, it's now up to 200,000. Now it falls by 50%, I'm back down to zero. So that's a 0% volatility adjusted return. If I change the sequence, I was down 50, and now I'm back up 100, I'm back up to 100, I'm at the same spot. The question is, will I stay in the down 50? Is my plan designed to get there? These are things that we've been talking about, planned obsolescence, technological change, inflation, and medical expenses. Everything that we own is wearing out, Everything that, you know, the technological changes that are going to come out as a result of this pandemic are going to be tremendous. And it's typically going to cost us more money. It's going to cost the society more money, which will be passed on through higher subscription rates for cell phones and data plans, et cetera. It could be a risk monitor that we're all going to wear that, that detects coronavirus. Who knows, right? And it's new technology that's going to cost us. Yeah, my health data app is going to be tracking me. I, I'm within three feet of somebody. That path, that's a technological change that's going to give this to me, okay? But there's so many financial pressures. You start thinking about your personal plan. And we have this thing that we do with clients that we call a wealth curve pressure identifier conversation, right? We do it with new people. We do it with existing clients. And it's really, we do it in annual reviews. And it's really getting an update of what's the family? What's going on in the family right now, okay? Right now, that's different for so many people than it has been, right? Is that, you know, we have kids graduating college who may or may not get jobs. We have people that are unemployed as a result of this. We have family members that have mortgage payments that are deferred for a few months, but will they get back? The amount of financial pressure at the family level in the moment is unlike anything it was three months ago, okay? So that warrants a change in strategy. That warrants a change in thinking. My income is different. My tax rates are going to be different as a result of this. My savings is going to change. My debt structure is under pressure. It might be increasing as a result of this. Student loan debt is deferred till September, right? Um, my lifestyle numbers are changing because one, we're not out spending, but they, how do they change? I've said to everybody, get a tool, go to our, you know, in our client portal, we have the wealth access site that will track spending. If you want to get more detailed, get a, you know, get it quick and get, you know, mint, get something that's going to track the monthly expenses. And this is a time to get really involved in that. But the pressure that's in your plan is unlike anything that you've had before. And now you have all these future obligations that you wanted to do, you know, putting the kids through college, putting um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are conversations that need to be rethought. And the thing that we want to get people towards, and this is something we've been saying for 30 years, my father and I, we've been talking about it, Ed and I now, what, 10 years now, Ed? Is it 10? Uh, almost 12. <laughs> okay, I'm really bad. Uh, so welcome. Thank you for being here for 12 years. Uh, that's true. 2008. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that we're trying to accomplish is that this is planned obsolescence, technological change, market volatility. All these things have always been here, and they will always be here in the future. So the thing that we're trying to get people to 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 do is to have a large percentage of their money in cash that's available for opportunities or emergency. 
to have money in life insurance cash values with a substantial death benefit that's paid for when you get to retirement, which we'll talk about, having sources of guaranteed income that could come from an annuity or come from something like that, and then having the portfolio. But if you see this, when the portfolio has trouble, these, there's more defense in play so that it's not as, as scary. Money can be deployed from the safe sources into the volatile sources in these times to take advantage of this. There's a lot more flexibility. There's ways to increase income by utilizing the death benefit in retirement. One of the most important things coming up, and it's always been this way for the 30 years, is having that death benefit as part of your retirement plan. Having the ability to turn on a reverse mortgage, having the ability to do a pension maximization, which means take, the, take a higher pension amount, but when I pass, there must be enough life insurance in play to secure the spouse. Um, having all these things are so important to a long-term strategy. And when you have confidence in the strategy, you can weather times like this better because we know this is going to happen. I know we're going to come out of this. I know it's going to look different. I know it's going to change. Our thinking is going to change. What's important to us is going to change. How we react to it's going to change. But the fundamental thing is not going to change. We want to grow our wealth. We want to reduce taxes. We want to reduce costs, we want to increase benefits, we want to save more, we want to spend more, and we want to pass more to our families. Those fundamental goals, I don't think, change. I think right now, I'm talking to a lot of clients, they really need to help out their families and they want to do it now, but they have the fear because their assets are down when they need to help. So that's, that's pressure, okay? So this is something that we had in the Retire ASAP seminar but it's a visual that i think is really important for everybody to get um what i what i wanted to talk about here before we wrap up is right now i think the most important thing that you can do is sit down with your advisor have an update conversation understand where your where your pressure is and for every one of our clients in the annual review what we want to do is we want to do those now, not six months from now. We want to do them now, and we want to have a quick 30-minute phone call. And for new people that are on this call or people that your friends, your family, that can really benefit from this conversation, we offer up this 30-minute, no-obligation, free conversation, which is very similar to the conversation I had earlier, to talk about what's going on in your, in your plan where are your dangers? Where are the opportunities? Where are the strengths? How do you redesign your plan in this environment and not, not, you know, not miss the opportunities that are available to us? Ed, I'll let you finish up. Yeah, I, I mean, um, <laughs> the uh, that thirty-minute conversation really leads us into the wealth curve blueprint, which. Um, you know, for the people who haven't seen it or the clients who have seen it, uh, most people find they're very helpful to, when we when we lay out the blueprint because it really just, it's an organizational tool, but it, it really brings out a visual, you know, along with the scorecard um, to say, okay, where are you at? And, and you know, John and I look at it a certain way um, and it really brings things to light um, where, you know, there may be, things that we want to work on together and, and have you understand it. So, you know, those, those, the first and second step are very powerful, you know, and, and it leads into, uh, you know, the third step, which I mentioned the scorecard, but even the fourth step, the wealth curve simulation, you know, which we've been using now for, I don't even know, five or six years at least, um, yeah. you know, and we've, we've upgraded that, that software. We're in a, we're in a second iteration of that. It's getting better and better. Um, but just to get you there and, and having the blueprint are two really powerful tools that, you know, we, our clients find very useful. Um, and, and really talks about you and talks about your situation and gives you, a, gives you guidance and gives you a visual to understand it. And that's the most important part is, you know, 
I, I, I kind of use 2017. My, my motto was keep it simple. And this pretty much keeps it simple. You know, it, it gets to the heart of things and we get to a, a conversation that we could have. And, uh, and I think it provides value. So I, and I, I hope I'm not misspeaking for the clients that I work with or your clients, Sean, but <laughs> so. If it does, we have a serious problem. Uh, <laughs> right. But the, the, the blueprinting process for 30 years, I can remember a client who's no longer here with us on the planet. Um, one of my best clients, uh, he came in, he had a box, and he he was so he was so thankful that I wanted to work with him. He had worked with so many people and he had like this a box full of stuff and he had no idea what was in the box. Like I got this, I got a life insurance policy, I got a disability policy, I have a will, I've got a brokerage account, I got this, I got mortgages. He had no idea because he was doing what he does every single day. And he came in and we did a very similar thing where we organized it all for him. And that's that blueprinting process is organizing what you have, because you don't like any solution that's being promoted out there right now means nothing if you don't understand what you have. So step one is the conversation is to kind of figure out, are we a good fit? Does this make sense? Do I under, are the questions that Ed and John are asking me, do they make sense? Do I feel good about this conversation? If yes, I want to move into the blueprint process and really understand where all my pressure is. And then what am I, you know, the scorecard really tells you, which is something that I developed about, I don't know, about a year ago now, year and a half. Year, year two. And the scorecard, yeah. the, the, the scorecard really goes through and it, there's like 20, there's like 30, 32 or 33 points that we picked on the on the on the blueprint that if they're optimal, then the plan should be optimal. And it basically is, you know, what's my tax rate? If my tax rate is higher to 37, it's not an optimal tax rate. I want to get it down to a lower number. What strategies can I do? If my savings rate is 2%, I'm not in a good way. How do I get it to 15 or 20? It doesn't happen overnight, but that's the goal in the planning process is to make sure that your advisor understands where you are understands where your threats are, understand where your dangers, where the opportunities are, and helps develop a long-term plan and a short-term plan. And I think right now, long-term is three months. How do we get out of this in the next three months? I think that's really what I want to say is, how do we move through this in the next three months? And how do we come out of this? Because what we do today and how we react to this is going to dictate where we are four or five years from now. It's really, really important. We went over an hour. I wanted to go for 45 minutes. We like to talk, but we're here for you, okay? And any questions that you have, message us. Send send an email. If you know you you're you're getting emails from us, we're gonna send back out um, the replay of this. If you want to share it with people, please please feel free to do so. Um, we're getting we're getting a lot of replays of this afterward, and we're getting tremendous comments. Um, while I was walking in Asbury, I did check an email, and I did get a comment from a client that it was great that he watched it on Saturday. So it is it's wonderful, okay? And we we appreciate this. We appreciate everybody. We really want you to stay safe. We want you to stay healthy, and we you know talking about the 30 years earlier. Um, I want to celebrate the 30 years. So when when this comes out, we got to figure out a way, maybe outside in the two parking lots, to have a big thing. But it won't be a a virtual celebration. It's going to be a a, a hugging celebration. I want to go back to it. Um, so thank you guys. Have a great time and have a great week. We'll see you next Monday. There's also another webinar that I'm going to do next Wednesday. Um, we'll get you the we'll get you the information on that. It has to do with relationships and money. Um, somebody asked me to speak to their group. It's a New York City-based group, so it's going to be a Zoom meeting um, that's going to probably be at about 12 o'clock next Monday, which will be right after this one. 
So we'll get you the, the, the information on that as well. It should be very, very different. Um, so thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Welcome to the end of the video. Smallwood Wealth Management is an investment advisor representative. The opinions expressed by Smallwood Wealth Management and guests on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice, information presented for this educational purposes only. Moreover, no listener should assume that any discussions or information presented serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Smallwood Wealth Management or from any other investment professional and is not intended as an offer of solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Smallwood Wealth Management is not a law firm or an accounting firm, and no portion of this presentation should be interpreted as legal, accounting, or tax advice. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Thank you for listening.